I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? Howdy, duty, Seth. How's it going? Good. Good. I'm glad to be with you. Always good to see your smiling face. I hope it's as nice for our listeners to hear our hopefully smiling voices. Is that a thing? I think it is. They tell you on job interviews that you should smile, even if it's over the phone, because people can tell. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. That's well, hopefully people know that we're happy to be together, or at least we're really good at faking it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> with that, I have a question for you. What would you do in this particular situation here we go i'm ready would you want to sleep 10 hours but be woken up every hour or just sleep six hours straight through hands down six hours straight through (laughs) mostly because that's closer to my normal reality these days anyway (laughs) but yeah i don't think i don't know Getting woken up in the middle of the night for stuff, it's never actually just like, oh, I'm awake for five minutes and then I go back to sleep, you know. You, have to, you realize, oh, I have to go to the bathroom, or then you're thinking about what woke you up and you can't stop thinking about it. It's just like ten trying to go to sleeps, and then you're just exhausted the next day. So no, six hours straight for me, for sure. Yeah, I, th- I think the same thing. Like, man, it's terrible. I'm just like, yeah, if I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm awake for at least a little bit. So like, like thinking about all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Like, so I think, yeah, I'd rather just sleep six hours. And also, I didn't specify this in the question, but like, I it also depends how I get woken up. Oh, yeah. If someone comes and like shakes me awake, like that's, then I'm definitely not doing that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And even if it's like some loud alarm, I probably, probably don't want that either. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I take it that there's something related to sleep and being woken up that relates to today's passage. Correct. Should I read it for us? That would be great. And what translation are we reading from? Okay, this is this is straight out of a commentary called First and Second Samuel by A. Graham Ald. I believe I'm pronouncing his name right. Okay. Well, I'll let you let you share a little bit about why you chose it after we read it, but how would I go ahead and read okay. it for us? That'd be great. Okay. This is 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The lad Samuel was ministering to God before Eli the priest, and the word of God was precious in those days. There was no vision expanding through, and it came to be on that day... And Eli was lying in his place, and his eyes had begun to be dim. He could not see, and the lamp of God was not yet extinguished. 
And Samuel was lying in the temple where the ark of God was. And God called to Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, I'm here. And he ran to Eli and said, I'm here. Surely you called me. And he said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. And God went on to call again, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, I'm here. Surely you called me. And he said, I did not call you, my son. Go back and lie down. And Samuel did not yet know God, and the word of God had not yet been revealed to him. So God went on to call Samuel a third time. He got up and he went to Eli and said, I'm here, surely you called me. And Eli perceived that God was calling to the lad. And he said, go back, lie down, my child. And if God calls to you, you will say, speak, surely your servant is listening. And Samuel went to lay down in his place. And God came and stationed God's self and called him as from time to time. And Samuel said, speak, surely your servant is listening. All right, so why don't you tell us more about this translation and why you chose it this week? Sure. We've talked, I think, almost every week about kind of this continuum of translations that they always balance being literal and being easy to read and understand and especially easy to read out loud. And we've, we've spent a lot of time at the, the end where it's easier to read out loud, I think. This is basically the opposite. I'll say. And you you did a wonderful (laughs) job. But this is as literal and as kind of wooden. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, But it tries to follow the the Hebrew text as closely as possible. And I just wanted to I just wanted to spend a little bit of time on the other end. Um, So I'm sorry I subjected you to to reading it. I know that it is difficult to read. That's all right. It was really interesting. With that, what jumped out at you? So I will say, I did, just for sake of transparency, I did make some choices as I was reading as well. Uh, this translation uses a name for God that certain folks find uh, offensive to say out loud. So I chose to say God throughout the passage where some other names for God were present. I just wanted to make that clear. Um, but that, that really stood out to me. And I don't know, this just came to me while I was reading because I was familiar with the story. But I never pictured Eli as exasperated by Samuel's <laughs> continued pestering. But I think your question at the beginning helped me identify that Samuel wasn't the only one getting woken up in the middle of the night. And Eli had someone directly there in the room to blame for <laughs> for his sleep <laughs> being disrupted. So I, I, I feel like I, I connected a little bit more with Eli's journey of being frustrated and then having this realization of what was happening and having a maybe a change of heart or a change of tone as he was approaching Samuel. I don't know. That just stood out to me. Uh, it was a little more connection with Eli and his response <laughs> to this story of this this child, really, who was coming <laughs> to him in the middle of the night asking what he needed. And him realizing in no doubt a sleepy state <laughs> what was going on and still having the wherewithal to give the kind of instructions that he gave. Maybe that's why it takes like a little bit of time. 
which yeah. I hadn't really thought about, right? Like, he, if he keeps getting woken up, right? like, he's kind of groggy, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> of course, I would expect it to take a little bit of time for you to figure out what's happening. Like, but I don't know if if you've ever been woken up, like, by a fire alarm or by anything like that in the middle of the night. Like, it takes you, at least it takes me, I should say, a second to figure out what's happening and then what I should do about it. Yeah. Like... That is absolutely the case. And that actually happens to me relatively regularly since I'm on call for, you know, in in my job working in residence life. We've got an old school flip phone with a real (laughs) nasty ring that wakes me up in the middle of the night, but it doesn't entirely wake me up. So half the time I'm talking to the people who are calling me, asking me to respond to a situation where I'm still half asleep. And my wife will, obviously, because it's a really disruptive sound, like she'll wake up and listen to hear me talking too and be like, you took so long to respond every time they finished talking. <laughs> and so I, I I really resonate with that. You know, it's a short walk for me over to campus to the places where I need to respond. And it's usually in that time where I'm walking in the quiet and in the middle of the night over to places that I take the time to kind of center myself, wake up, realize where I am, you know, make sure all my extremities are moving and working. <laughs> and then gather myself before responding to whatever situation comes up. So maybe there's part of me that really empathizes with Eli in this situation too. (laughs) Anything else you noticed? There was, for me, there was a repetition of the idea of God's word, Mm -hmm. um, how the revelation of the word of God was personally significant to those to whom it had been or hadn't been revealed and the two places it stood out to me the most was that the, in the first verse, God's word was precious in those days. It wasn't widespread. And then later on, uh, in verse 7, Samuel did not yet know God, and God's word had not yet been revealed to him. feels like there's some connection there that, I don't know if you have any other insight or information on that, but those are some another pattern, kind of a detail behind the driving narrative of the passage that stood out to me. I do think there's a connection between those two. Like one of the reasons that Samuel doesn't know the word of Yahweh or it hasn't been revealed to him is that the word of Yahweh was precious in those days. Or sometimes they translate, some other translations will say like it's rare. Yeah. Um, so I think that maybe that's one of the reasons that that he's surprised, right? Mm-hmm. Or even... Or he's, he doesn't understand, and then Eli's yeah. surprised too. It's mm. like this is this is like a pretty rare occurrence. But I, I, I'm always struck by the line that and Samuel doesn't yet know God because God's call literally calling his name, right? Like, right. It is like, not a very reciprocal relationship. At this yeah, point. I'm like I don't know how much more obvious this could get, right? Like, well, especially for a child that's been, you know like dedicated to this God who is living at the temple with under the care of a priest. There's a, maybe there's a disconnect there for me too. I just, I think that was pretty surprising. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're, they're sleeping in the temple, right? Like, like very close to it. Samuel was lying in the temple of God where the Ark of God was. Shouldn't, should try to avoid the tetragrammaton. Because you're right, that can be offensive to some people. Well, was there anything else from the passage that stood out to you or anything that you thought was really important to the story of this text? I think this text is a perfect example of just really 
good storytelling that mm-hmm. we see in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. And I think there's there's been a lot of scholarship recently that kind of uncovers some of that and reads it a story and sees it as just as well-written narratives. Mm. And this this is like this is almost humorous, I think. Right? It's like like it just keeps happening and it keeps happening. Like there's almost a progression, I think, too. Like first it's just Samuel, Samuel, then it's Samuel, and then it's God went on to call Samuel a third time. And then again, it's Samuel, Samuel. Like, we're back at the beginning, and finally we're going to figure it out, right? Right. Like, it's like, the structure of it is just amazing. Yeah, I think my my tendency has been to read God and Samuel and Eli as robotic in this. They're just, like, stuck in this cycle. When in actuality, I think there are some differences in tone, there are differences in experiences on all three of those characters' part in this narrative that add a layer of depth and I, I agree like a, a depth to storytelling, a depth of narrative to this that really draws you in. And that's, that's actually a little bit of what I wanted to talk about. We're like, we're like budding up toward what's the point, which is perfect. I love Robert Alter. And I think you know that our listeners probably do too, but he talks about first and Second Samuel, and also First and Second Kings, but that whole narrative has not just a good story, but stories about what it means to be human. Hmm. I've just I keep thinking about this story in that way because I I've also heard it in kind of a political way, like yeah. this this delegitimizes Eli, who's not a very good priest. And it props up Samuel. Sure. But I just wonder if it's actually a lot more nuanced than that. Yeah. Like, it's just like, this is this is about someone, about multiple people, really, Eli and Samuel, who are struggling to hear God and determine what to do and how to kind of where to go from here. And I wonder how each of us have heard God and how we may have been confused by it. And also how, how we've responded, how we've sought clarity in that. Because at least I'll just speak for myself right now. It hasn't come nearly as clearly as God saying my name multiple times. Not one night at least. Not, no, I'm yeah. just not, not for me. Yeah. I realize that I'm, I'm not necessarily uncommon in my desire to work in higher ed. But I think among folks who feel a call to ordained ministry... There are fewer of us that are doing work in education than there are in, in a local church. And I mm-hmm. I think that story for me was particularly interesting. I always thought that that's just, you know, being in a local church was what you had to do to be a minister. And I think no less of that, that function of the role of pastor or clergy at all. I think what what came to me, though, kind of my, my moments of my name being called were were threefold right so it was and it was all around the same time during seminary so first i had this incredible experience traveling with several of my peers and an instructor to the u.s mexico border in southern arizona and learning more about immigration and our system in the united states this was happening right at the onset of the trump administration's kind of the uncovering of their family separation policy too so we were doing a lot of wrestling about 
faith and policy and faith and justice and compassion and the intersection of all those things. And for me, I just realized that what I feel called to do is to bring the church to spaces like that, where mm. the gospel needs to become real. The good news of God needs to become tangible and change the way that we live our lives. So that's one moment. The other two are far more practical and, <laughs> and like tangible, <laughs> and they both relate to preaching. I had a preaching class around that same time, and over the course of the semester, I had to write and deliver two sermons, and I could not believe how much work I had to put into it. And that was two <laughs> times over the course of four months, and I stopped and thought, I don't think I could do this every Sunday for the next 40 years. <laughs> and kind of, I guess the third moment, which is really related to that, was this realization that I was misunderstanding how I was experiencing preaching too. I, mm -hmm. I really enjoy preaching and delivering a sermon, but it is exhausting to me. It is something that is personally very draining. And I always wore that as a badge of honor. Like, wow, look at how hard I worked. Look at how much the Holy Spirit used me. And in actuality, it was just like my body crying out saying, I cannot sustain what you're doing, <laughs> what you're doing and putting yourself through. And so it was those experiences of listening and paying attention, but none of those were done in isolation. I always had an Eli type person. I had a peer, I had a mentor that I could turn to and, and share these things with. And I was really fortunate to have those relationships and I think it's a combination of those things. You know, I need to pay attention to listen and see and understand. But I also need to be open to the unexpected that someone else might be able to identify in the circumstances I'm going through too. So I don't know if any of that, if any of that connects to what you were thinking of sharing or if any of that resonates with you. But that's just what comes to mind when I think about my own sense of call and purpose and those key moments that kind of changed course for me you know we've been friends for years but i don't think i ever heard like those three specific moments oh you know in the ordination journey you gotta get good and succinct at telling your call story so oh I've yeah been working, i've been working on that for a while <laughs> but yeah those were those were really crucial moments for me all in the span of like i think that was a spring semester and then that trip happened over the summer so it was all over the course of like a few months that i just felt a real sense of clarity around all that for me there aren't three specific moments it's like more small nudges so some people know that i i went to seminary for a while and then i wasn't sure what i wanted to do i like wasn't sure if i wanted to be a pastor if i wanted to teach if i wanted to do something completely different um, so i worked temporarily at a doctor's office and it was there that i felt like i got to be a, a minister more often than I did when I was in seminary. Mm. Like when I, when I talked to patients and people who, both people who were sick and hurting and in pain and their loved ones were, were struggling, but also people who were joyous and who had good news about their cancer diagnosis. And um, we got them treatment for things that had been bothering them for years. It was that all those smaller moments where I felt like I was doing pastoral ministry mm there that I thought I wanted I want to do this more often in a context that is specifically the church right like I couldn't at least where I worked I I didn't talk about God openly unless someone 
right. said something to me about God, then I would, then I can reciprocate that. So I think that was a big thing for me is like all these, these little nudges about, oh, I'm, I'm doing this ministry and I feel like this is where I want to be. It was a lot of callings, I guess. Like, yeah, that's hard to, it's hard to articulate what those moments are like too, right? You rarely identify in the moment when you're going through them that this is a moment that I'm going to look yeah, back on for the true. rest of my life, right? But I'm, I'm thinking what's coming to mind is a quote from the theologian Howard Thurman. And this is a paraphrase of, of that quote. But essentially, his encouragement was to go out and find what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs is not more of any specific vocation necessarily, but it needs more people who are fully alive. Hmm. And so it's those moments that you had of, you know, even in a job that I know that you didn't love every day <laughs> from, from hearing, hearing about that experience, but those moments in the midst of it where you, you were still given the opportunity and took the opportunity to do that work that makes you feel alive and, and recognizing that and paying attention to that. And I'm, I'm appreciative of you sharing that as well. Uh, just a encouragement to not just be aware or try to be aware in the moment, but to think about things that have prompted you to stop and say, wow, that was really meaningful to me. You know, whether that's, whether that's, you know, nailing a perfect Microsoft Excel spreadsheet or like, or, you know, fin putting the finishing touches on a, you know, a beautiful painting at the end of a Bob Ross video or something like that. Like whatever that experience is of expression, I'm convinced that there are things wired into each one of us uniquely that kind of provide that spark that prompts us to come alive. And a lot of it's about paying attention to either what we're experiencing or what others are seeing in our experiences. So whether we are able to perceive that calling out in the middle of the night ourselves, or we need Eli to tell us what to do, I think there is there's something special set aside for, for all of us, something common in our shared life in Christ and something unique for each and every one of us. It's interesting with what, with what you just said, for me to think about being Eli sometimes too. Like we've been talking about yeah. kind of being Samuel, right? But like sometimes that we're, we're in the opposite position, right? To point out to people what we see as their passions. At least in the, in the ELCA, in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, part of your ordination vows is to, this is a paraphrase too, is to find people who you think might be the next generation of leaders in the church, which is in some ways to be an Eli, I guess. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm also thinking Seth from kind of a broader perspective for you and I, as you know, we are, we are like Eli in that our very existence holds some weight and power. Hmm. Hmm. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm actually kind of diving into the depths of verse eight when Eli perceives that God was the one calling Samuel, kind of what was going through his head. You know, was it excitement? Hmm. Was it a sense of loss or betrayal? Probably some combination of all of those things. But as we 
encounter a world that demands leadership from people who don't look like you and me, who don't worship the way that we do, who don't have the same amount of money in their bank accounts as we do. Like all these things that give us power, give us position in our communities, in our workplaces, in our wherever we are, they may be the things that we are called to set aside for that next generation of leaders as we amplify their voices or use our own voices to talk about ways that they're not being heard or not being appreciated or not being respected. You know, there's, this is not, this is not talking about some like shallow conversation about inclusion. This is about how we dismantle the structures that just by the nature of who we happen to be born as give us so much privilege and so much, so much benefit. And it might be our job to listen and point to and celebrate and lift up those that are experiencing that unique, surprising call. <laughs> Even if we perceive it to be at our expense in some way. Hmm. I really like that last part. At least in the story, that's exactly, I think, what's happening here. Right? Eli's the priest, and the voice doesn't come to him. I mean, it's mm-hmm. certainly that this is this is the, the torch being passed to the to the next person. And Eli will will phase will fade away, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, sometimes it will come at our expense, but we can't let that kind of get in the way of of God's active work in the world. I love that. I think we need to pray. I think that's all we can do at this point. Pray and pay attention. Will you pray for us? I would love to. Calling God. You call our name in experiences at the border and in tiny nudges at work. Help us to hear your call. Help others to respond to your call in their lives and to respond in our own unique ways. Speak, God. Surely your servant is listening. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week? Next week, we are headed back to the Gospels. We're looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it.